Welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast for May 4th. I'm Melissa Dablin. This week, Idaho Department of Lands Fire Management Bureau Chief Josh Harvey joins me to discuss the upcoming fire season. Thanks for joining me, Chief Harvey. What can we expect this summer with the fire season? Well, thanks to, for the invite today. Um, so our, our forecast um, and our outlook for this summer is you know, we, we, we like to look at statistics, right? We look at our trends, our statistics, and where we've been and where we're going. And the state has been experiencing a pretty long-term drought. You know, we're, we're well into multiple years of back-to-back drought-like conditions. And so as a state, um, we have a lot of fuels out there, live fuels that have been dr- drought-stressed. And so from a fuel standpoint, um, you know, we have the fuels that are fire receptive. This year, if you look on any moisture map, um, you'll see that we've actually received a pretty significant amount of precipitation across the state and our, our snowpack and our moisture levels actually look pretty darn good for where we're at. Um, going into this last month, it didn't necessarily look quite as good, but we've really gotten a lot of moisture here recently and, and the outlook is good. So that that's a double-edged sword. So when we get a lot of good moisture early in the spring, that means we have a lot of live fuels that are gonna be growing, right? And we get really good growth in the springtime. So what that does is then it creates a situation where if we have a very dry July and August and into September, we have a lot more um, fuel out on the ground that is in a state of either dying or they're, they're, they're stressed. And so they're very fire receptive when we're um, you know, at the peak of fire season. Um, so, our, you know, our outlook in general is going to be for a slightly hot average to above average um, fire year in terms of fire growth, fire activity, um, and the number of fires. There's some things that we, we can't control when it comes to the number of fires and fire starts, and that's human behavior, human activity out on either in their own backyards or out recreating in the woods. And the other factor that we can't control is, is the lightning storms, the thunderstorms that move through um, Idaho as they do periodically. So we're guaranteed to get some starts. It's just, it's simply gonna happen. But the fuels and the weather conditions on the ground are really gonna dictate how fast and how big those fires get. So- To your, to your earlier point, when, when you're talking about the moisture that we had in the month of April, mm-hmm. it's not enough to get the rain in April it's extremely problematic if it then dries out. We need to keep right. getting rain in June and July and August yeah. to make sure that that doesn't just become dry grass everywhere. That, that's absolutely correct. Um, the month of June and the first half of July is really critical for getting some shots of moisture. We can just guarantee that the last half of July and, and August, the spigot's gonna get turned off, right? That's just the way that it goes. Um, but if we can, if we can delay um, when we really get hot and dry into the first part of August, then then we're probably going to be looking at a pretty decent average fire year. We're guaranteed to start raining in October, so it really shortens that window of time when we're going to be really concerned about catastrophic fire. But I know that in Idaho and also nationwide, the, the fire season that we traditionally think of has expanded. It's become longer. It starts earlier. It goes later. Are you worried that at some point we're going to experience what California 
and Colorado have seen in recent years where we get you know, devastating wildland fires later in the season or uh, in, in months where we don't traditionally think about wildfires. I'm not as worried about it in North Idaho. I mean, we, we get a significant amount of snow. Our falls are almost guaranteed to be wet. Our springs are, are pretty wet. Um, but, you know, you start looking down in the Great Basin area, the, the Treasure Valley, um, the Boise area south, that possibility is probably there more so than up north. Um, it, the Great Basin just tends to be drier than, than the northern part, right? So there is some concern there. And, you know, looking at statistics, fire seasons are getting a little bit longer. Um, especially in terms of larger fires occurring either earlier in the year or later in the year. Um, statistics back that up. But it's not a huge, we're not seeing like a week every year, right? We're adding a day to fire season. The average is a day, maybe two days a year, that type of thing. So I think it's something that we need to be cognitive of, but I'm not extremely worried about it. What does concern me with fire season going year round in many parts of the country is that it really stresses resources, firefighters, right? There's a finite number of firefighters nationally. And if those folks are fighting fire year round, that's gonna have an impact on who's available and who really wants to travel away from home to help other states out. So it has an impact on, on the pool of resources that's out there. Um, the state of Idaho, we do support burning. We're, we support the states that are burning. We're, we've got people in Texas right now um, and we'll continue to help them out. So I'm not gonna say we fight fire year round, but nine months out of the year, eight months, sure. And that touches on something that you mentioned earlier. There are things that we can control. There are things that we can't control. We can't control the lightning strikes. We, we can't control how dry June and July are gonna be. What can we control when it comes to our ability to either prevent or fight the fires in the first place? Well, we, we've really made a focused effort as an agency, um, as a state to put preventative messaging out there and to interact with one with the youth in the state. So we're starting to educate kids um, at a very early age. We've got very active smoking programs, right? Um, but where the problem really comes in is the more people you have on the roads, the more people that you have recreating in the woods, the more chances that you have uh, unintended incident. Um, accidents, for the most part, are preventable. And so I don't wanna, I don't wanna say that you know, people have accidents, but when you're not cognizant of how low your chains are hanging from your trailer, that's a preventable ignition point. Um, if you're not taking maintenance um, care of your vehicle, and it's backfiring, shooting embers and sparks out, just, just um, getting rid of cigarette butts, you know, and just really taking care to police yourself and manage fuels around your own homes. Those are the things that we can do as individuals, as citizens of the state of Idaho to really prevent catastrophic spread of fire. We not only have more people moving to the state and obviously taking advantage of Idaho's yep. natural resources, but we have people who live in neighboring states coming here to recreate. Are you seeing more awareness or are you seeing it go the other way where people are not um, 
aware of how their actions uh, impact the fire hazard? Um, I think I think it's a, a combination of both. Okay, so we have people that move here from states and from places that are not fire prone areas, and they've never had to deal with it. Um, and so they may be a little bit more um, carefree in how they conduct burning and how they look at their home and, and maybe they feel that they have more liberties when they're out there camping and don't have to put their fire all the way out, right? Um, is there some level of, you know, folks coming from neighboring states to recreate and they just don't care because at the end of the day, they know they're going to go home and if something were to happen, we're not going to find them? Possibly. Um, I would like to think that people are smarter than that and, and they care more than that, but human nature is what it is, right? Um, <clears throat> and certainly it, Idaho residents aren't immune to that too. You know, just because you were born and raised here doesn't mean that right. you can't be careless when it comes to fire prevention. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I do, you know, I've had conversations with folks over the years that have moved in and they just, some of them, uh, you know, even last year in the area that down in Orofino, they moved down there and they saw some of the devastating fire we had. Um, and they just said, I've never seen anything like this before. I came from back east, up north. We don't have fires like this. We've never seen this type of thing. And uh, scared the it, it scared the living bejesus out of them, right? Um, so, yeah, it's that we do have a lot of people that are moving here because of all the opportunities, the, the beautiful nature that we have, the recreation opportunities. Um, but they don't bring with them an awareness like they should. We also have the fact that communities are expanding. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just people recreating in wildlands, it's people who are living in that urban wildland interface. And, and that contact between where people are living, those communities and wildlands, there, there's more now than ever and it's only getting bigger. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we've seen, I've seen fires from just a completely innocent uh, gentleman in the backyard grinding on a trailer, just doing regular maintenance work on his trailer, right? Grinding activity, those those sparks landed in some in some pine needles and boom, blew up into a major incident. Um, everybody likes to shoot fireworks off on the 4th of July. Well, you've got that expanded wooey. We've got people living out in the woods. Maybe it, it's a cooler, calmer type of day and they don't, they, you know, you want to have some fun, accident, boom, they shoot that bottle rocket off and land in a spot where it shouldn't have. Um, the, the more people that you have living out there in the interface, the more opportunities for oopsies. Um, <laughs> and that's a really nice way of saying it. We, we have other names for it, but, you know, it just, things happen. Um, and they're almost always preventable. And so we've we've really invested in in education and trying to put you know gas station TV messages out, uh, public service announcements, things like that, just to keep it fresh in folks' mind as we head into a, you know potentially hot and dry fire season. What percentage of fire starts are human caused versus lightning strikes? Uh, it depends on the year. Um, you know, the last couple of years, the majority. The majority of fires have been human caused. Um, traditionally, lightning was our number one cause of fires in the state, but that has changed. And again, statistics are a big part of this, right? 
and the weather changes, not, not just year to year, but every five, 10, 20 years, we look at changes in weather patterns. And the last number of years, we've had fewer thunderstorms move through the state than what we've seen historically. And so it's been really easy for the human caused fires, which debris burning is our number one cause. Um, so human caused fires have, have exceeded lightning fires um, by quite a bit on average over the last number of years. So that's, a, that's one of the major factors, but we are actually moving into a trend if the trend in statistics hold true, where we should be seeing an uptick in thunderstorm activity across the state. So that's that's where you know I get concerned when we see our normal weather patterns start to come back into play, and we have this expanse of the wooey with more people living out in the urban interface, more opportunities for accidents. You combine those factors together and put it into a fire season like last year. Holy smokes, that could get really scary in a hurry, right? We've talked a lot about preventing these fires in the first place. Once they've started, do you have enough people to fight them? For for the size of our organization in our state um, and what our responsibilities are, I feel pretty confident in the number of firefighters each of our districts hire. Um, you know, there's there's no organization in the world that when you have a bad fire season, nobody has enough resources. You can't put enough people on a bad fire, right? There's just some of them that are just gonna go. So where we're at right now, I feel really good um, about the state of the Department of Lands, our ability to respond um, with our cooperators during initial attack and, and even beyond that. <clears throat> um, we really had a lot of help this year from the governor's office, the land board and, and our legislators. You know, we put, approximately three million more dollars into our fire in our preparedness budget we're putting more firefighters out on the land um, we're putting more fire engines out on the landscape um and you know and, and i we talked to it just a little bit ago but um that competitive pay right we've always struggled as a state agency to compete with the forest service and the blm um and I, I don't ever anticipate that we're going to exceed them or, or even get to the point where, where we're equal or even with them but the steps we took this year with the support of the legislature and bumping our minimum pay to 15 dollars an hour at least made us competitive with burger king um <laughs> i hate to put it that way but you know we we were losing applicants to um you know, they could go make $15, $16 an hour with starting bonuses at, at, at some of these fast food joints. And we were paying our, our entry-level firefighters $12 an hour. That so, gives a whole new meaning to flame broiled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Wow. So, so $15 an hour is the base mm -hmm. pay now. Yep. The legislature also approved up to 25% in hazard pay bonuses. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So hazard pay, we, we took a, a more conservative approach to it than, than the federal agencies where their firefighters, if they, if they just step on the fire line for, for an hour, they're going to get hazard pay all day. We wanted to be a little bit more conservative with that. And so the way we, we structured it is if our firefighters are in a hazardous situation and they're on the fire line, they're going to get paid for that time that they are exposed to the hazards that are out there. 
when they're back at the state, say they go out and they fight fire for three or four hours, which happens, you know, they're not all of them are 14 day campaigns, right? They fight fire for three or four hours, get the fire taken care of and they get back to the office. Well, they get paid that hazard pay for three or four hours. And what it is is 25% of their base pay. It's not 25% of their overtime pay or anything like that. It's just a, a recognition in their base salary that they were they were conducting work in an environment that they couldn't control everything around them and that they were exposed to to hazards that that most folks in a normal job site are not going to be exposed to is that going to be enough um i for now i'm going to say that i think it's a really good start um I've heard nothing but appreciation from the folks that we brought on from our wardens. Um, I was one of those guys for 20 years that I managed a district and I grew up as a firefighter. I didn't get that. And so it made it very tempting to want to go elsewhere. Right. And so staying with an agency and growing in a, in a district made it really tough to do. And so our biggest struggle is putting people out on the fire line that have a lot of experience experience with the right person means that that environment becomes a little bit safer. They become a little bit more cost effective and they're more um, productive out on the ground. They, you put in that time, that experience out on the fire line, you see things that those younger firefighters don't see. You recognize hazardous situations that they may just walk right into. So you're preventing time loss injuries, you're keeping people safer, and those experienced firefighters make decisions out there that save money. Um, you know, they, they, they show up on a fire and because of their experience, they're like, you know what, I don't need a full load of retardant, I just need a helicopter for a couple of hours. They just saved the state thousands and thousands of dollars by making a good decision. Um, you know, it, and one of the things I always thought was the most dangerous that we did is we asked some of our young firefighters to serve as incident commanders out there. And we put them in positions to where they had to make decisions that they really didn't have a whole lot of experience to be making those decisions, you know, to base that decision making on. Um, and now I think we're, we're taking some big steps to really improve just the overall work environment for our folks. You know, and another piece to that is is R and R. So when our our firefighters say they go out of state or even they're on extended fires here in the state, um, if they work 14 days straight <clears throat> fighting fire, then they're going to be entitled to two days paid off. Um, I know myself. You know, for years as a seasonal firefighter, I wanted to work every single day that I possibly could, so that I had money in January to pay rent. Right. Um, well, if you're going to pay me to take a couple of days off, I'm going to take a couple of days off and I'm going to rest. Um, I know a lot of our folks for a long time, they would work every single day if they could, they'd sleep in November. And that's not right. It's not a good work environment. It's not safe. And this is another one of those big steps I think we've taken to really modernize our agency and really provide a professional work for some professional firefighters. You said that the pay increase and the hazard pay was a good first step. Mm -hmm. Considering everything that we talked about with 
prevention and firefighting and the different inputs like growth and community development and planning. From a policy perspective, either on a state or local level, what would you like to see happen in the next few years? You know, again, one of the things that I think that's in our direct control is, is maintaining and keeping pace with changes in, in compensation. So that's just, that's one small piece that keeps our folks around, keeps them wanting to come back, continues to build on our, our experienced firefighters. A lot of emphasis has to be done at the local level, at the counties um, and within those municipalities in really generating that local level awareness for the work that needs to be done to make a community fire safe. Um, you know, we have we have counties in the southern part of the state that there are there's property there that does not fall within any sort of fire protection. They have nothing. And we've stood up our FPAs, Rural Fire Protection Associations, to try to manage and to cover most of those grounds. But as a as a state across the board, we need to have a higher level of interaction from our counties. Um, you know, the, the most successful movements in history are grassroots, right? We can, we can go to a county and say, hey, you need to do this. And the county is like, okay, the state's telling me what to do. But if the county comes and they say, hey, will you help us do this? Oh, you absolutely. We'll do whatever we can to help support those counties and, and putting more resources out there and supporting their volunteers. And so that's that's one of the things that I really, I think is really gonna benefit our agency and then the state as a whole is really getting those counties to acknowledge that there is a problem on the horizon and there's things that they can do to, to get ahead of it. Idaho Department of Fire Management Bureau Chief Josh Harvey, thank you so much for joining us this week. Well, thank you, I appreciate it. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.